Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Later this hour, we will meet the founders of the new Boys to Men mentoring program in Mason City and talk about inspiring and guiding young men as they become their best selves. But first, like so many women, Casey Johnston was driven to be fit and hot, dieting and exercising to make herself smaller in a never-ending cycle that left her feeling deprived and depleted. When she discovered weightlifting, everything changed. Her body, her relationship with her body, and her life. She's been lifting for the last 10 years, and as a professional writer, she started sharing her experiences and knowledge through an advice column. Now she writes a popular newsletter called She's a Beast. In a few minutes, Iowa State University kinesiologist Jacob Meyer will join us to talk about the benefits of strength training for anybody. But Casey Johnston is with me now. Hello, Casey. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And let's go back more than a decade in your life. I think that probably a lot of people and particularly a lot of women listening recognize that description, that that constant cycle to try to become smaller and smaller. What was your experience? Well, yes, I was I got sort of fully caught up in this process of of dieting that I've gained some weight in college. And I read that if you eat less, the specific number being 1200 calories was what everyone said at the time, just eat 1200 calories and you do your cardio and you'll lose that weight that concerns you so much. But I got kind of caught up in a cycle where I was yo-yoing around the same weight, just just struggling to always lose those last few pounds and that went on for years. And I felt like I was fighting so hard to just stay in the same place. Uh, and then I came across a, a post online that had a woman talking about her experience with lifting, uh, with building a little more muscle. And what I came to learn was that I think by doing all of this dieting and cardio, I had actually dieted away a lot of the muscle that sort of was regulating my body and helping my, you know, my metabolism stay level and all of these things. So I was like, I need to kind of get back to level here and try some of this lifting stuff out. So I switched programs and I started going to the gym and practicing my, my squats and my deadlifts. And I was in a way surprised how little changed because I was always told that lifting will make you bulky. And, you know, as soon as you sort of pick up a dumbbell, you're going to get huge. But that both didn't happen. But the internal change that I felt from just sort of working on those fundamental body mechanics and building up a little bit more strength and eating more in order to support those gym sessions was completely night and day different feeling in my body. It was just so magical. And I was I just was latched onto it almost right away. Well, and it means a lot of what you're saying is so counter to a lot of the messages that we hear repeatedly in our culture about, you know, limiting what you eat, count your carbs, count your calories, you know, all of that. You're saying that you in some ways decreased your effort because that that constant cardio that you were pushing so hard felt like a lot of effort and ate more and got 
better results. Yes. I was surprised to like learn that it could work that way. And also further surprised that if it could work that way, why isn't everybody talking about it? Why isn't everyone doing this? Like it made no sense to me. So from almost the moment that I started doing this, I started sort of like yelling at everyone that I could find, like grabbing them by the shoulders and being like, do you know about this? Like we don't have to be suffering. And that's why I started writing this column because it was like, we need to give this woman a venue for her (laughs) sort of uh, ethos on life here. So tell me a little bit more about how much lifting you were doing, how much you were committed to this lifestyle change and, and what actually changed about your body. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because I do still see people getting into lifting, but they think it needs to be this like really high stakes. Like, you know, you hear about programs like 75 hard where it's like work out twice a day. And there's, you know, lifting programs that are like work out six times a week for like an hour or whatever. But the program that I did and what I learned is that when you are sort of ramping into strength training and that can go on for a couple of years, you only need to do it. And in fact, it's not really good to do it more than a few times a week for, you know, 30 or 40 minutes was what I was doing. Um, And that is because your body sort of needs also that rest time in order for your muscles to recover from the training that you did and to sort of restock your body with food in order to be ready for that next session. So three times a week, 30 minutes is like a perfect place to start. And I was sort of shocked because I was running probably, you know, 20 or 25 miles a week that was taking up six plus hours of my time every week. So I was like, I can work out for 90 minutes total every week. And I'm doing only like a few reps at a time in these programs. And everything will be not only the same, but better. It was just crazy. As someone who has been committed to cardio for, I think, forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's still this part of my brain that has a hard time with that because the the benefits for your heart and for your lungs, for your cardiovascular system are, you know, are supposed to be a big part of doing that cardio. So how do you think about that when you're doing something that is, is I don't know, do you get your heart rate up as high when you're doing your lifting as you would doing cardio? Well, they are they are different, but I think they overlap more in those ways than some people think. Um, it's definitely not the exact same. It is good to still, you know, walking or running. You know, you don't. I don't think you need again to make it like a super high stakes thing. But I think also when you're talking about a person who has not much time to commit to working out during the week. The I think you get better bang for your buck sort of with strength training because you do get some of that heart rate activity and you're, you're um, moving around, even sort of like moving the weights back and forth is sort of like the cardio that you might feel like you're missing. It's It can be a little bit more work than you might think in certain ways. But I think I, I often say if you can, if you only have time for one, I think people have vastly underrated strength training in terms of what you can get out of it in the time that you need. I think a lot of people are really intimidated by the idea of strength training, especially when they're thinking about free weights. Um, help me help me understand how not to be intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the first thing to know is like that it is it is intimidating. It's intimidating to a lot of people. You it's I mean, 
the way that I think about it is that you are starting something new. It's important to not underestimate that part of it. It's even like starting in a new job or starting in a new school. You're going to this new place where you don't know anybody and you're like, I don't even know where to stand when I'm like doing things. So I, you have to sort of take your time with that and it's totally okay. Uh, what I started recommending people doing is to give yourself time to get acclimated to the gym ecosystem uh, like as its own sort of task. So you can just like go to the gym, even get on a treadmill and just sort of where you can sort of take in, watch the whole gym and just watch people move around for a while, like watch what they do. Where do where do people sit? Where do they stand? What do they do with the weights? How do they interact? And just sort of getting your feet wet with the environment in that way for, you know, a session or three sessions or however you sort of start to get comfortable with it is a good way to ramp yourself up. Like it's it's so hard to go into a gym and just be like, and I'm gonna accomplish my workout when you don't know where everything is, you don't know all the equipment that you need. It's like, just give yourself a few times to get used to it. And do you feel like you can accomplish the same thing using weight machines that you can with free weights, which of course is a lot less intimidating for a lot of people? Right, I think the issue with weight machines is that a lot of people tend to default to them when weight machines are actually taking a lot out of the lifting process that is very, very good for us. When you have to sort of support a free weight, you're using all of these, you're using the main muscle that whatever it's supposed to work. Like if you're doing a overhead press, you know, that's like a shoulder dominant sort of movement, but there's a lot of other little muscles that have to stabilize, excuse me, the weight while you're moving it, if you're doing it on a machine, the machine's doing all the stabilizing for you. But stabilizing is like the main thing that we need to do in our lives, especially as we start to get a little older, that we need to be able to sort of support our body and like be able to shift our weight or have things that we're holding shift around without that being a catastrophic event. So free weights can sort of offer that part of things. How has lifting changed how you feel about your body? I mean, I had been sort of feeling increasingly betrayed by my body where it was like, I'm expecting it to be able to do these things. And in my mind's eye, it's like I can throw a ball or I can bend down and pick something up. And this was even when I was in my 20s. So it's not like I was, you know, the, the I was aging <laughs> that quickly or anything. But I sort of realized that my capabilities were diminished. And once I started lifting, building up that strength, but also building up that mobility that it takes to be able to like, for instance, do a squat to be able to like move your knees and your hips in that way. I just felt so much more capable and I began feeling sort of pleasantly surprised by myself when I went to do something to pick something up or move something around that I was like, even getting a little scared to say, like, move an air conditioner out of a window and then going and grabbing it and being able to just like pick it up like it's nothing is such a is an incredible feeling. And uh, at some point, I mean, at first you realized you weren't bulking up because of the weightlifting, but then you really embraced that part of it. And we'll have to talk more about that in a moment. But just briefly, I mean, was there just sort of a switch that got flipped? I think there wasn't necessarily a switch, but I got to a point where I was enjoying getting stronger so much 
that I was like, I just have to do this. I want to, I need, just need to give it a try to deliberately put on weight and sort of continue to get stronger because it just mattered to me that much. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm talking with Casey Johnston. She's a professional writer, and for the last 10 years, she has been lifting. She started writing an advice column. It was called Ask a Swole Woman about her lifting, and she writes the popular newsletter now called She's a Beast. We'll talk more in just a few moments about her experience, but we'll also focus on the benefits of strength training for women and for anybody. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Coming up in just about 15 minutes, we will meet the founders of the new Boys to Men mentoring program in Mason City and talk about inspiring and guiding young men as they grow and become their best selves. Right now, we are talking about weightlifting, and we're focusing right now on weightlifting for women, but we will also broaden the conversation about the benefits of strength training for anybody in just a moment. Jacob Meyer of Iowa State University will join us. With me right now is Casey Johnston. She is a professional writer and she's the writer of the popular newsletter, She's a Beast. She gives a lot of great advice about strength training and weightlifting, which she's been doing for about the last 10 years. And Casey, uh, just before the break, I, I was asking you about you know, when you first started, you had been going through this cycle of, of diet and exercise and trying to become smaller. And when you tried weightlifting, there was this concern in your mind about getting bigger because uh, that, you know, that's something that, that we associate with weightlifting and building muscle. That didn't happen for you at first, but you then decided that you wanted to embrace that to get bigger. Tell me a little bit more about what changed in your mind that made you want to pursue that. Yeah. Um, well, the way lifting works is actually that when you're first starting out, you don't need to eat lots and lots of food or like really strive to, you don't have to do a lot in order to get stronger very steadily and pretty quickly. So when I was lifting for the first like couple of years, I was getting stronger very steadily, but my body wasn't changing a lot, which was sort of, you know, reassuring to me as somebody who had always been taught to fear that. But at a certain point, my, uh, as my gains, as you might say, the strength uh, that I was able to get from working out started to level off. And at that point, you need to start to make a little bit more deliberate of an effort to put on muscle and start to in order to be able to continue to push your numbers. So I had a kind of decision where it was like, okay, I could stay as strong as I am and just sort of coast at this level. Or I could see what happens when I actually try and 
uh, deliberately put on some muscle, which involves gaining weight in general. It's, it's hard to continue to build muscle at that point without also putting us on some body fat. So I had to make a deliberate choice to increase my calories, like not a crazy amount, but I think it was by 10 or 20%. And then you just keep pushing yourself in the gym and you do that for like a few months at a time. And then after you go through a cycle of that, you go back into a cycle of trying to lose the little bit of body fat you gained and keep the muscle. So I went through a cycle of that and I, I loved it because I could continue to get stronger, which was such a validating feeling for me. And I got to experiment with this process of eating even more food. And it just made me feel incredible in the gym also. And that was really gratifying. You illustrate this. You have it. You've shared it in many places. But on your Instagram, you also share it with your illustration of the avocado principle, where you demonstrate <laughs> the the growth of muscle and the growth of fat or the loss of fat and the loss of muscle. And it's actually pretty complicated. So <laughs> I can't I can't explain the whole thing. But um, you are the focus is really changing the composition of your body. Yeah, I think that's a thing that's really been that we haven't understood actually in uh, before recent years, or it was sort of knowledge that was really contained to the bodybuilding community. Most of us in, in the normal world were focused on just weight, the general concept of weight loss, but we're not taught that when you lose weight in general, that also involves losing muscle. And we need that muscle to maintain our metabolism, to maintain our, our strength and what makes it feel good to be in our bodies. And that was what happened to me when I dieted too much. So no one had sort of taught me the distinction between weight loss and body fat loss or the sort of destructive muscle loss that can happen when you're too aggressive with weight loss. I'm talking with Casey Johnston. She is the author of the newsletter, She's a Beast. And we're talking about the benefits of strength training and weightlifting. I want to bring Jacob Meyer into the conversation. He's an associate professor of kinesiology and director of the Wellbeing and Exercise Laboratory in the College of Human Sciences at Iowa State University. He is also studying the mental health benefits of resistance training or strength training. Jacob, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. And of course, you know, Casey and I have been talking about her personal experience with weightlifting, and she's inspired a lot of people and a lot of women through her experience. Um, tell me a little bit, as a kinesiologist, let's just talk about some of the benefits of strength training, not necessarily the, the kind of lifting that Casey's been doing, but any kind of strength training, resistance training, has been shown to be beneficial for people in a lot of ways. So give me the basics, Jacob. Sure, yeah. Um, I think the you can even hear it in some of the ways that, that Casey, who I'm super excited to be on the show with, um, has used in some of the ways that she's described how things are going. People feel um, less depressed, less anxious, less stressed. Um, typically less fatigued and more energetic after they engage in resistance exercise training, along with, of course, the strength-related improvements that happen, you know, the changes in muscle morphology as well as with, um, you know, weight loss and overall changes. We know that in particular those mental health benefits happen, and, and they often happen um, quicker or in ways that might even be more readily understandable or realizable than when people engage in other types of activity. Um, like aerobic exercise, you can't necessarily tell that you are running very slightly faster at your mile pace. But with resistance exercise, you can tell that you could do one more 
repetition or one more lift than you could the week before. And so there's like that nice gratification that can happen. Um, and can be involved in some of the mental health benefits that we see. Well, yeah. And uh, Casey, you were hinting at that a little bit. You were talking about how when you were in this diet and exercise cycle that you felt deprived, you felt depleted, you thought about it all the time. Um, so tell me how, how you felt your thinking change as your body was changing, as you were lifting. Yeah. Um, well, I was very, I mean, the thing that is sort of underrated or underestimated about dieting is that it literally also, as we're talking about strength training affecting your brain, dieting also affects your brain. It can, you know, if you go back to the the very famous experiment on this is the Minnesota starvation experiment. Uh, and the men who went through that became very sort of uh, rigid and attached to rules and they were fearful of eating. Um, and it sort of becomes this self-perpetuating thing where you're you're sort of locked into this dieting state mentally. You're afraid to gain weight, afraid to eat, afraid to abandon the the sort of diet rules that you've imposed on yourself. And that was that I when I read that, I was like, that's exactly how I felt when I had been dieting for so long. But when I changed over to this more virtuous cycle of strength training where it was like I'm eating more to sort of support my body, but also support my training. There was a great feedback loop there. Um, it reminds me of, I also saw a study recently that was like relevant to our talk about cardio versus strength, that a study done on older people who uh, were did one of each of those programs, the, they found that the older people who engaged in strength training were overall more mobile. They moved around more. And I think that's something that strength training can give us. It's just like sort of more general capability. And that's like a completely underrated aspect of it. Well, for sure. And I'm sure that anybody who looked at you before you started lifting would have seen this young, strong woman. Uh, I know that you interact a lot with your readers. What do you hear from older women who, you know, see the benefits that you've experienced, but also feel that intimidation or maybe think that it's too late for them. Oh yeah, I mean, I it's it's so wonderful I hear from so many older women who either they're so great they've been working out their entire lives but had never really tried strength training in earnest like this, this sort of uh ramp up, the steady ramp up of of uh as as Jacob was saying, uh adding repetitions, adding weight to your uh, lift steadily. Um so I love hearing from those women. I love hearing also from women who had who had never tried it before. And I think that a lot of people think that if they're older, it's not for them when nothing could be more untrue. It's almost like the older you are, the more care you need to take of preserving your muscle and preserving your mobility and strengthen these movements in order to enable the rest of your life. Well, and Jacob, we've learned more and more about how uh, people lose muscle mass as they age and how detrimental that can be for them. There was just a piece on Morning Edition this week about people not getting enough protein and, and losing muscle mass as they age. Um, the loss of muscle mass, it it hurts us in so many ways. I mean, that that is also related to uh, the strength of our bones. Help me understand a little bit more about that. Yeah. I, um, two things here. One, I think that's really important to recognize um, is that the while we lose strength uh, with age, 
uh, we don't lose the capacity to increase our strength such that the people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s um, can still get stronger if they go through the same types of programs that, that everybody else does. So I think that's really cool that we can at least m- manage what tends to happen with age. The other thing about thinking about bones, which becomes really um, important for people who are uh, aging, um, which is all humans, I suppose. Yes. We're all aging to some degree. <laughs> so thinking about the bone piece is that um, as uh, you know, each of your skeletal muscles is attached to um, your skeleton. You know, they're skeletal muscles, so they're attached to your bones. And where where those attachments happen, basically what your muscles are doing is they're pulling two bones together. And as your muscles are worked and get stronger through strength training, those attachment points end up seeing a lot more stress. And as a result, the body reacts by creating stronger bones. It's like, okay, there's more stress here. That means we've got to lay down more bone and we have to make the bone uh, stronger in different ways. And so then that allows sort of uh, improvements in in uh, bone structure and capacity and capability as people age, which is one of those things that when you start losing and you start thinking about like, oh, a fall and a hip fracture or other things that be- can become super detrimental to people's lives. Um, strength training is one of the, the best, if not the best, way to help prevent that. And you talked about how we can build muscle no matter how old we are. I mean, if you've already developed osteoporosis, if you're already experiencing some of these losses, does strength training still make a difference, Jacob? Yeah, there's one of these, uh, uh, an incredible study that was done just in people who I think were in their 80s, and it showed just massive improvements in strength in response to a strength training program, really trying to figure out like, you know, okay, so we get older and we start losing our muscles and our bones get more brittle. That just happens. Can we do something about it? And that ability to do something about it is still retained. We just actually have to do something about it, but we can still improve. So um, in particular for people who maybe have genetic history, you know, family history of osteoporosis or are starting to go down that path on their own for whatever reasons, strength training can be really, really useful. Now, I know, Jacob, you are recruiting a lot of people to participate in your long-term study about mental health and resistance training. Um, the The weight room has historically been a pretty male-dominated space. And Casey, I want to get your thoughts on that, too. But I'm curious, Jacob, with your recruiting people for studies, are you finding that women are just as likely as men to sign up for these studies and, and want to be a part of it? Yeah, what's really interesting, so the the work that we do is um, typically in people who have uh, mood disorders or mental health symptoms, and that often ends up um, being something that afflicts women more often than men. Um, so our population tends to, to be more female than male in general. But as we're looking at something like resistance exercise, typically that's a more male-dominated interest. Um, but as we look at the studies where we're trying to recruit people who have depression to go through a resistance training program, we see almost exactly 50-50 interest between the sexes. So it's not dominated by one or the other. And that's great because we know that the benefits are true for everybody. Um, so it's really helpful to to have a group of people who are interested in that um, and not having sort of like the historical perspective of what a weight room looks like, um, limiting what people might think that that they're able to do or that they want to do. Casey, when you started lifting, you were inspired by a woman who was lifting and shared her experience. But was there a barrier to entry for you as a young woman entering the weight room? Oh, I was, of course, 
so scared. And the, the gym that was both nearest to me, but also extremely affordable was this like, like black iron gym where all of these guys, huge arm muscles. And there, it was around the corner from a firehouse. So like all of these like really big firefighters would be there just like banging weights and yelling at each other and all this stuff. And I was just like, I can't believe that I'm about to even do this at like, you know, looking back, it was probably, you know, in some ways, the least, uh, the most intimidating environment for somebody like me. But at, at this point now, looking back, I'm so glad that that was where I was, because that was like a culture of people who, uh, A, they, they didn't bother me nearly as much as I as I thought they would. They really didn't at all. And most of them were very friendly. But the fact that I was in this culture or in this room of people who all they like genuinely love lifting weights. And when we're talking about, you know, we have, you know, 80 year old people who are trying out lifting for the first time and they're able to gain muscle. It's like, how can you not be taken with the total the, the magic of that, that that is what bodies can do, that they can give in a certain you know, basic number of inputs with just, you know, some lifting of weights and some food, your body can build muscle back. It's like that is biologically just mind blowing to me. I think it's so cool. Well, and Casey, you're you're such a, a really a fantastic writer. And I know that a lot of people who read your newsletter probably don't actually lift. <laughs> <laughs> and you've heard from people over the years who were like, oh, I love your newsletter, but I could never do that. And then they eventually give it a try. What what do you hear from people like that? Well, yes, the funny thing is that I started doing this. I started writing this column so long ago. It was in 2016. And even from the from the jump, I would hear from people or people would say to me in person, they'd be like, oh, my God, I love I love your column. It's so cool. I read every single one. On my life, I will never lift a weight, but for some reason, I just really like lifting, or I really like reading about your sort of take on lifting, or however you might characterize it. But now, I just had to sort of barnacle into this stance, and now that I've been banging this drum for so long, I hear from people where it's like, you know, five years have gone by, or, you know, however long it had been since I started writing, or they started reading it, and they write to me, and they're like, I never thought I would start lifting. I've been reading your column for a really long time, and I finally decided to try it, and now I totally get what you're saying, and I'm like, this is so gratifying to me. Like, I, you know, been in it for the long haul with these people, with you know, over a great distance, and I'm so happy to be able to convince them over that long period of time, I guess. That's very gratifying. Casey, thank you so much for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Casey Johnston writes the newsletter, She's a Beast. She shares her weightlifting experience and advice with her readers. And Jacob Meyer is an associate professor of kinesiology and director of the Wellbeing and Exercise Laboratory in the College of Human Sciences at Iowa State University. He is studying the mental health benefits of resistance training. Jacob, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I'm sure we will talk again in the near future. And coming up in just a moment, we're going to find out about the new mentoring program in Mason City. It's called Boys to Men. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. 
Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Growing up has always been a challenging business, and it seems to get more challenging with each passing year. Gen Z is dealing with all of the normal stuff that kids face, as well as newer challenges like social media, too much screen time, climate change, gun violence. Eric Ngonyonge and Pete Jean-Pierre decided they wanted to make a difference for some of the young men in their community, and they have created the new Boys to Men mentoring program in Mason City. Eric is the host of a podcast called How It All Started in North Iowa, and that's what brought the two of them together, and they are both with me now. Hello, Eric. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being here, and hello, Pete. Hello. Thank you for being here as well. And Eric, uh, you're an accountant by trade, um, and you host this podcast that that takes a look at education and, and a lot of needs in your community. Tell me what brought you and Pete together on the show. I mean, just like what you say in the beginning, uh, we've been knowing each other for a while, so I kind of wanted to talk to Pete on the podcast about... Uh, uh, school board because he was uh, in the school board and through our conversation we started kind of bouncing off idea actually in the podcast I just cut that part out we start bouncing ideas of what can me and him do and one thing led to another we ended up start talking about us showing up at school uh, and then this idea of mentoring came into play so we start building into that idea and here we are. Well, and and Pete, um, in addition to being a community treatment coordinator, you are also a basketball and football coach for ninth to twelfth graders. So, and you are on the school board. So you you already do a lot of mentoring with young people. Coaches are are some of our greatest mentors in many cases. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what you were seeing and and feeling that led to this conversation with Eric. Um. So I think it was just more so like what sparked the conversation about uh, wanting to grow in regards to mentoring is like, um, how can we do more, right? There's always a need for more. Um, And the best way to do that was, from my point of view, was to one, model the behaviors that we wanted to see. Um, So and one of the behaviors that I felt that was lacking was just uh, not complaining about the things that we see that's wrong. Uh, but actually putting our best foot forward and saying, like, we're going to we're going to be the solution to that problem. And that was just saying, hey, we're going to be there. We're going to develop this program that's going to draw uh, young men in. And we're going to actually not just tell them how it should be, but also demonstrate that and give them the opportunity to uh, kind of step into their own light and uh, be confident in themselves. And as you were talking about ideas to, to really make a difference in the lives of young men. Um, what At first, you were thinking about a book club, Eric. Yep, yep. Yep, that was one, that was one of those things, because, uh, I mean, we know there's a lot of our young people barely read, and me and P, we both read book, book clubbers. So we thought about, what if we do the book club and kind of, we can expose ourselves to the young people with the idea of that reading is cool. Yeah. And so slowly we start talking about that, and then that manifests to something else. And 
then we came to this. But we still have that in the back of our mind, the book club idea. So we don't know. We're both pretty busy, but we kind of don't want to stretch ourselves too thin and then ended up not doing the one thing we can do correctly right. and right from it. Yeah. So, uh, Pete, it's still in the back of mind. Right, right. So, Pete, how, how, how do you envision the Boys to Men mentoring program? What, what's the vision that you came up with? Uh, well, it kind of eventually was just the opportunity to, uh, one, have an uh, open dialogue with uh, these young men on different topics, right? But within those topics, uh, Eric and I discussed, like, well, we can still have the the model of like a book club, but we can we can structure it differently, right? Where we have a reading component involved in this uh, this mentoring, where uh, there's a reading assignment that these young men have an opportunity to read, and once they read those uh, those topics or whatnot, we would come together as a group and discuss their different point of views on the topics. Uh, that that gives them an opportunity to be able to be confident in themselves and expressing what they received in their different uh, from their different lenses, their different point of views, and their different walks of life. And this is you're taking on a, a big challenge here, um, Eric. You guys have decided that you want to work with young men who are ages 11 to 15. Why did you make that decision? What's what do you feel like is special about this age group? We we felt like that age group has not been highly corrupted, lack of a better word, in the society. So we can at least we have a chance to bend them a little bit uh, before they get to 16. Because we, we both know once we start hitting age 16, 17, 18, when I was at that age, I thought I knew it at all. You can tell me nothing. Yeah. So it's, it's like that can be a little bit hard to bend. So that's why we kind of picked that ages. Let's see if we can shape them from this point. And then by the time they're 15, hopefully they are good to go. All right. Any, any thoughts to add on that, Pete? Yeah. Uh, and, and he hit it right on the head. You know, they, at that age, uh, it's the age of them becoming extremely like impressionable. Right. Um, and they're, they're getting to the age of about to go into uh, middle school and high school during during that those those uh, eleven to fifteen uh, ages, uh, we wanted to give them an opportunity to one first identify themselves so that way they're confident in themselves when they walk into uh, these different scenarios in life, these different buildings, these uh, different friend groups. They're not easily impressionable by just the things that they see, but they're able to critically think through uh, making decisions and things of that nature. I feel like boys in our culture are just bombarded with all of these really contradictory ideas and contradictory pressures about who they should be and what it means to be a man. Uh, Pete, what are your thoughts about that? What do you what do you feel is particularly difficult for young men in this age group? Yeah, it it is difficult, especially when um, if you don't really see it often. Um, And when I when I say that. Uh, I don't mean that the, the the father is probably absent in the house, but the father can be there. But um, there's a need for a village of of men to be around for them to see uh, different way that men are in their community around them. Uh, so that way they they're they're not stuck with just one point of view of how uh, being a man is what a being a man is like. Right? They get a different point of view because being a man is different for everyone essentially. 
right? The way we approach things, the way we approach life is different, but they're able to make that decision based on what they relate to and what they gravitate towards. Well, and of course, being being a man can be so many things. Being a human can be so many things. But there there are these notions that men aren't supposed to show their feelings. I mean, even even now we have these phrases that are so damaging and, and so diminishing to young men about, you know, man up when they're dealing with a, a difficult situation or boys don't cry and things like that. Um, Eric, do you want to add anything to your thoughts about the challenges facing these young men? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I will actually, I will piggyback what you just said. The idea of uh, men are not supposed to show their emotion and stuff like that. That's where we find a lot of young men blow up and do things that everybody's surprised. Like, oh, why did they do that? Because they've been putting this emotion inside them for so long, they don't even know how to channel that. So, with with our program, we are trying to help them a little bit with the emotional intelligence that. It's okay to feel a certain way, but there's a better way to express that emotion. So, so almost like creating that foundation as well. So tell me, you, you put out the word that you wanted to create this program. Um, what? And I know you've already had your first meeting, but what is the vision? What, what will you be doing with the young men who've joined the group, Eric? It's going to be purely conversation. We're going to have conversation like... Who are you? That's, that's one of P favorite questions. Understand who you are. What is the values that are more important to you when we take everything away? So it's going to be that type of critical thinking, understand yourself, know yourself. And I think that will be better for them to start dealing with everything else in life, like anxiety, depression, and you mentioned this in the beginning about violence and we, me and P, we are big on the conflict resolution. When conflict arises, what do you do with that? So that, that's, that's our vision. Yeah, Pete, have you created like a, a curriculum or how, how are you structuring this? So, yeah, so we, uh, we essentially, we, this is a lot of planning. Um, this is weekends and week outs of uh, Saturdays at a coffee shop and uh, hours of discussion. And we came up with uh, books that we wanted to uh, choose from uh, and utilize during these discussions. Uh, we chose uh, topics uh, that we wanted to uh, at least have some structure to. Uh, so that way we have these topics and the, the books essentially correlates with the topic uh, to address what we're trying to address. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a, it's a week by uh, essentially a group by group uh, structure of how we're going to address these topics and how we're going to get these topics to relate to the book and get the kids to relate to uh, the topic and the books as well, but also um, giving them an opportunity to, uh, at the end, which is the cool part, is building a library for themselves as well with these books. And this is brand new in Mason City. Pete, how did you get the word out? Uh, it started with Eric first. Uh, Eric and I just decided, like, hey, let's just put it out through Facebook. Uh, so Eric, uh, he's he's a little better with this than I am, uh, but he was able to uh, create the Facebook page, and then we essentially just uh, chose a day that we were going to blast it, and 
uh, we put it out and the the response is just amazing. Like just being able to see like how many people were uh, essentially uh, they agreed that there was a need for this and we we were on the right path and doing the right things. How many boys have joined the group? Currently, there's four. Um, there, I have a list of four other students who uh, who are also on the list that I need to actually go out and uh, meet with and interview. Um, and I didn't have a chance to this week just because I was under the weather. But um, but I do plan on going out and meeting with the other four uh, gentlemen and then be, meeting with their parents as well. And I know that you have made a, a priority to welcome boys who don't have male role models in the home into your program. Eric, why why do you think that's such an important um, principle? Uh, I think because uh, they have a way bigger risk than other young boys who have a male role model in their life. So we, we kind of wanted to take that burden off the single mother's and tell them, like, listen, there's certain things you probably cannot teach these young boys. That's why we're here. We're going to try to walk them through certain things that there would certain questions they will be open to ask us. They might not be open to ask you. So that's kind of what what our thought process was. Yeah, I mean, so you you've got a lot of ideas about what you're going to talk about with the kids and and some of the resources you're going to give them. You also have to really establish a relationship to establish trust uh, with yes. these young men. What's your plan? It, the, the conversation, the conversation, and that's what that's what this is 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 very very important. We're gonna need to try to to establish that trust with the conversation from the beginning, so they can trust us. Because we we with our our job in this in this thing is we will be posing questions, and they will be the one doing all the conversation. Like, what is a friendship? What does that mean to you? So through through that, we are hoping that we can we can gain huge trust not between them and us, but between them and their fellow uh, guys in the group. Eric, through your podcast about Iowa civil rights history, and you've really dug into a a lot of the community building changes that have taken place in Iowa over the years. Do you feel like this is part of that legacy, community building and and helping these young men embrace a better future and, and strengthen our state at the same time? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Because if you listen to all those stories uh, in in a podcast, all those people in there, what they were doing is for the community. From Edna Griffin, Alexander Clark, all those guys. That's what they were doing. And this, I think, is. And I'm not trying to compare uh, myself or P with those big names and what they did in Iowa. But I think this is just like small portion of what we can do instead of just standing on the sideline. Yeah. Well, they were just people who thought they could make a difference too. Um, So we we only have about a minute left, but uh, thinking back in your lives, Pete, um, what do you think having a resource like this would have meant to you? Uh, I mean, a lot. I mean, I did have, I had some really great role models uh, and mentors, including uh, from basketball coaches to uh, college advisors. Uh, it, it showed me the different ways that I could 
navigate this life without having to make uh, dumb choices, right? Yes, I can make some mistakes, but I I, I can actually navigate this well with uh, thinking before I act and um, being able to identify who's for me and who's not for me. Um, that That's what something like this would have essentially did for me as well. Yeah. Any thoughts on that from you, Eric? Well, I, the reason I'm doing this is because I had a lot of resources. I had mentors that I could lean on. And until this day, there's people that I can call whenever days get rough. So that's why I think I sh- it's, it's it's good thing for me to offer the same thing to the young people who might not have the same resource I had. Well, I wish you both the best of luck, and I, I hope this is just an incredible success. I'm sure you're inspiring other people to think about what they can do as well. Pete, Jean-Pierre, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And Eric and Nyonge, thank you. Thank you. I've been talking with Eric and Nyonge and Pete Jean-Pierre. They are the founders of the new Boys to Men mentoring program in Mason City, and you can find out about their work on Facebook. Takabaya was a production of IPR News. Our producers are Caitlin Troutman, Samantha McIntosh, and Danny Gear. We get production assistance from Kate Perez and Maddie Willis, and technical support from Steve Cooper. You never need to miss an episode of Talk of Iowa. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Talk of Iowa. I'm Charity Nevy.